Hello and welcome to another Tabletop Games Blog Saturday Review. Five heavy Christmas board games. Most of us will have a lot of spare time over the holidays, and if we have board game enthusiasts among the family, this is the perfect time to set up and play some heavy games. We might also have more time to meet up with our games group, and again, now is the time to get those heavy games to the table that we might not feel like playing of an evening after a busy day at work. So here are five heavy board games I think you should play over the holidays. Oath, Chronicles of Empire and Exile. Yes, Oath by Coworley from Leader Games is definitely a heavy game. Not only is the playing time on the longer end, but the rules overhead is a lot, even though once you get into it, none of the rules are actually that difficult. I think it's the edge cases that make it a bit more complicated. The real depth in Earth comes from the planned action though, and the way it's not so much about winning the game, but more about stopping other players from winning. It's really clever in that respect, and pretty much in every game after round 4, players will start forming short-term pacts to stop another player's imminent victory, only to turn on each other once that's been dealt with. So there's a lot of direct planned action in the game, but it doesn't feel personal in any way, because it's usually very clear who will win on the next turn. So when the other players work together to stop them, it is just logical. There is no point trying to do anything else, because if another player wins, the game ends. It's not like you can overtake them and win before them. It's really black and white, and leads to wonderful rounds where players discuss their options and the best way forward, with half an eye on how they will come out of the situation afterwards. Ultimately though, Oath is really more of a storytelling game than anything else. It's as close to an RPG that doesn't need a GM in board game form as you can get. It's also really quite basic in its setup. A handful of side cards and a stack of denizen cards create detailed worlds that change as play progresses. They weave lovely stories and it almost doesn't matter whether you win or lose, because you end up being so engrossed in the story the players create as they take their turns. The illustrations are absolutely gorgeous as well, and they underline the idea of the storytelling. Add to that the descriptions on every card that explain the effects, and you can't avoid imagining what it all means in the world of Oath. It's really quite magical and very fitting for the festive season. Tharos What made me want to have a copy of Tharos by Bernd Scholz from Spielworks was the dice back building element, and of course, the fact that this is a Spielworks game. There is a huge amount of luck in this game which you can't control very much, but that doesn't matter to me. When you draw your dice at the beginning of the round and roll them, it's exciting. You then spend the rest of the round working out how best to use those dice in the most efficient way. Sure, the game does last quite a while and for some it will outstay its welcome. After all, there isn't a huge amount of difference from round to round. Even though you improve your dice bag and build a small tableau, Tharos doesn't feel like an engine building game. There's also no planned action really, so it's not like you can interfere with another player's plans. It's very much multiplayer solitaire. However, that's exactly why I love this game so much, and why my wife and I have been playing it a lot. The satisfaction, for us at least, comes from solving the puzzle that the dice rolls pose every round. You slowly build your dice bag, get out cards that give you some sort of benefit, try and populate the surface of Tharos, and just go about your business really. I think there is a similar attraction as there is in Wingspan. Tharos isn't overtaxing but it will keep you focused just enough so you don't realise when another hour has gone by and you've finished one more round of the game. If you like this sort of thing, 
then this game will definitely be for you. Dominant Species Marine Dominant Species Marine by the late and great Chad Jensen and from GMT Games has been on my wishlist for some time. Actually, that's not quite true. It's its bigger sibling, Dominant Species, that I've had my eye on for a long time, but I knew it would never get my games group or anyone in my family to play it with me. So when Dominant Species Marine came out and was touted to be the shorter and easier to learn version of the game, I knew I had an opportunity. So far, I've only played Dominant Species Marine once, but even that is a victory to me. I was able to teach the game to my games group pretty quickly, given how much there is to teach, and they all got it pretty quickly. The player boards have all the necessary information on them, and the game board is also really well designed, so once you know how the game works, you don't really need to refer to the rulebook, except maybe for some of the event cards. I think where we went wrong in our first play, which is probably my fault, is that we looked at it as an area control game, which it isn't. For most of the game, it's really more about procreating and evolving. You want to have the most animals of your species on the planet, at least in certain areas, because that's what gives you points. Only at the very end do you want to spread out and control the most areas. Yet, what Dominant Species Marine does amazingly well is emulate the story of evolution. Your species are very limited in what they can do, but during the game you can give them a wider range of areas where they can survive, We can go the other way and become even more specialised. In fact, the game is long enough for a species to become specialised to start with, and they're more flexible later in the game or vice versa. Once the game end is near, everyone wants to spread it out, but by then, they may not have enough animals left on the surface, by which time it's too late to procreate. The game also beautifully emulates how the surface of the planet changes, how new landmasses or bodies of water are created, and how events suddenly erupt. The game encourages you to place new planet tiles near like tiles, i.e. water next to water, or land next to land, but sometimes it makes more strategic sense to put them somewhere else. That makes for a half-predictable, half-unexpectedly random planet, which is beautiful to watch. So don't be put off by the perception that Dominant Species Marine is too heavy. If I'm able to teach it and my games group able to learn it from me, then you should be fine and you'll have a good few hours solid gameplay to boot. Brass Birmingham Another game that is quite heavy to get to grips with is Brass Birmingham by Martin Wallace, Gavan Brown and Matt Tolman from Roxley. Yet once you've played it a couple of times, it will actually feel quite simple, and your turns will become a lot quicker. It all really starts to flow, and even though it takes a while to remember that coal needs a network connection while metal doesn't, and that your beer can be consumed by you from anywhere, other players' beer needs to be connected, Eventually it does sink in and all makes sense. I think the draw of a game about the industrial revolution that's set in the so-called black country is really quite large. You want to be part of this rather huge but also very grim part of history. In the game you will build canals, later railways, as well as cotton mills and other manufacture, potteries, coal mines and ironworks. You will slowly spread out over the whole map and every time you do something chances are that another player will benefit from it. Brass Birmingham is another game with a lot of direct play interaction, but it's not necessarily negative. Sometimes you actually want someone else to use your coal or your iron or your beer, but sometimes you don't, because it would have been free for you to use your own coal or iron, while the market prices are prohibitively high. There's a really interesting push and pull in the game, where you want to be close to the locations where your other players are, but at the same time you don't. Timing is very important in the game as well, 
so sometimes it's worth to do a less important action on your turn, so they can do the two important actions together on your next turn. I think Brass Birmingham is a game that will keep you occupied for an hour or two, and where you will be engrossed in the building of the industries and transport networks that would have been growing up during the Industrial Revolution. So put on the fire, have some Christmas music playing, and snuggle together around the board game table for some fun. Magnate the First City I remember playing a near-production prototype of Magnate the First City by James Naylor from Naylor Games, which had 3D printed buildings and many hand-cut cardboard tokens. There was a wonderful toy digger first player marker as well. It all seemed quite daunting and I had a hard time explaining the game to my games group, but then I'm not a great rules teacher and there's a lot happening in this game. The attraction of Magnate for me was always the economic simulation. After having had a demo of it at a games convention, I was absolutely hooked. Taking turns felt so intuitive. Buying land, building properties, attracting tenants and reaping the rewards was very enticing. Yet the house market crash was inevitable, and only a matter of time. It was great to see how that real-world concept was implemented in the game, and how you could partly control when it would happen, allowing you to try and get out of the market in time, and then push for the crash. Luckily, my games group did get past my terrible rules teach and they quickly went quiet, trying to work out how to get the most money and cash out before the game ended. That was a good sign because they were really engrossed in the game, and when it was all over they clearly loved it. Yes, this game is all about capitalism. Yes, it's about money. It's really a very cold game in that sense, but at the same time it's also so tempting and enticing. You think you can beat the market until the market beats you. So, if you want a game where you build land, build property, and roll dice, you have a couple of choices. But for me, Magnate the First City is a clear winner, especially for Christmas. Well, there we are. This is my last list of five Christmas games, at least for this year. I hope you've found something that you want to play with your family or friends over the holidays. It'd be great to hear if my lists gave you some ideas, so please comment on the blog at tabletopgamesblog.com and let me know what you're planning on playing. Thank you for listening to this Tabletop Games Blog Saturday Review Podcast. Please check the description below for links mentioned in this episode as well as to the written version of this article on the blog. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe, give us some stars or leave a review. Please also tell your friends about me and if you want to offer financial support, check out my Patreon Ko-fi pages, links to which you'll find in the blog at tabletopgamesblog.com. So thank you again for listening and I hope to see you again soon. This podcast was made possible by the generous help of my Patreon supporters. Royal Patrons Nicholas Higgins and Sean Newman Magic Champion Zeb Hicks Castle Guards David Miller and James Naylor Dice Masters Alex Bardi Paul Grogan and Robin Kay and Shining Lights Gavin Jones Sarah Reed Richard Simpson and Tim Vernick